Welcome to the Make Light Show, the podcast that's all about curating meaning and joy in a light-filled life and part of the Life Listened Podcast Network. I'm Karen Walren, photographer, storyteller, and author of The Beauty of Different, Observations of a Confident Misfit. Join me as I speak with light seekers and light makers from around the world, learning all about how they live with intention and a sense of adventure. It's proof that positivity, creativity, and kindness make the world go round. Kate Inglis is a talented photographer who I met early in my career, but who I quickly learned is an even more gifted writer, writing books that are whimsical and fantastical with a bit of an edge. The Dread Crew was one of my favorites I ever read to my daughter. But Kate has also experienced unspeakable loss in her life, and that she is able to somehow weave beauty out of grief is a thing to behold. So join me today as she comes to us from the wild country of Nova Scotia, Canada, and we talk about loss, resilience, and why self-compassion beats positivity every time. Kate Inglis, I am so excited that you're joining me here today on the Make Light Show. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Oh, I'm excited too. Thanks for having me. Um, my pleasure. And you know, I, I want to set the stage here for all of our listeners. Kate is this amazing photographer and if possible even a more gifted writer but here you gotta imagine this she lives in a giant sea captain's house on the coast of nova scotia and she tells me right now there's a storm that's coming in and she just had to stop to dampen the fire in her studio <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we're, and she has her cup of tea it's not really tea but it is an old tea mug and it's just gonna be like just settle in and cozy in with us because we're in yeah. for such a lovely treat I don't have my tea because I've got my my straight rum. Oh, <laughs> because you're a pirate, right? Like I'm in I'm in rum running territory, here, so I have to stay true to that. Oh, I love that. I, well, you know, as a West as a Caribbean girl, you you sing yeah. rum. That's very very close to my heart, right? Like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> so so let let me tell everybody who Kate is because you are going to be so thrilled that you've met her now. She's she, we met actually contributing to a website and a book called Expressive Photography. The website was called Shutter Sisters. And Kate's a wonderful photographer, but, um, and, and you'll see, we'll link everything up. We'll link so where you can see her Instagram feed and, and see some of the lovely things that she creates. But my favorite thing that you've ever done, Kate, is a mm. wonderful children's book or young adult book, really. I wouldn't even say children's, young adult book called um, Dread Crew Pirates of the Backwoods. Um, and I was doing a little research before this, and somebody compared it to a Roald Dahl book, which I think was perfect. Uh, yeah. Right? That's so yeah. wonderful. He is, so, he is my, 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 I mean, he's the king. Yeah. He's, he's one of, one of the, you know, he's, he's, he's a royalty level writer. Well, I let me tell you, if he's one of your inspirations, uh, mission accomplished, because your books <laughs> are, have that sort of fantasy with a little bit of brooding in it and it's yeah. um, strong female characters, which I love. And I bought, uh, you actually, I think you gave it to me um, oh, when I my daughter have. was very, very young. And, oh, yeah. uh, and I, she was probably a little young at the time to read it. She's read it right. since, but I devoured it. It was fantastic. Right. Um, and you have a sequel to it. You have a book called If I Were a Zombie, which I gather, I have not read this one, is for even younger kids. Yeah, it is. It's for four to eight-year-olds, and it's really a celebration of dress-up. So it's just a bunch of silly monster poems. And it was my first picture book, and it's the first of what I hope will be several. I've got another one coming out in the spring that I can't say anything about yet. Oh. And I've next next spring, and yeah. then I've I've got other ones kind of in the hopper too. So I'm kind of I, I hope to be one of those writers that gets to straddle many many genres. And, oh, and, you're gonna be like yeah. one of those Madeline Langle type people, right? Well, like, hope, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that I be wouldn't great? Complain about that, yeah. <laughs> and then you have this um this amazing nonfiction book coming up um called mm. Notes for the Ever Lost: A Field Guide to Grief, a handbook for the heartbroken. Um, it's gonna be out September 18th. It's available for pre-order now, and. It's one of those um, books, and it's kind of sort of a great segue into what I'd love to talk with you about today, because mm. when I met you, you had just experienced or recently experienced um, an incredible loss. Uh, and could you tell uh, listeners like what what happened? Because it's, it's an incredible yeah. story. Right. Well, my my second pregnancy uh, was identical twin boys. Uh, I already had a two year old boy at home. And, you know, what happened 
was the first big explosion in my life because nothing had ever happened to me until that point. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I mean, I had never wanted for anything. You know, I, I, my parents loved me. Um, I, I, you don't realize how fortunate you are until you are among the unfortunate. Mm. And that's when, when you're able to see with clarity, just how, how blessed your life has been and, and how, how, um, superficial your concerns have been up to that point so they were born uh three months early Mm. so they were supposed to be born august 5th 2007 but they were born may 5th uh so just over the wire of truly terrifying territory uh they were 27 weeks along and to kind of speed up it's it's a long story um but ben was two pounds even and Liam was two pounds, nine ounces. And after six weeks of oh, absolutely torturous, you know, a, a torturous existence in, in neonatal intensive care, uh, Liam died after heart surgery and brain surgery. And it was just all too much. The nature of what happened inside me and complications of the birth. And it, it just, it was too much. And mm. so we kind of sort of said goodbye to him twice you know when he was born we lost the boy that he should have been yes and when he died we lost the boy that he would have been so Mm. had he survived because of what happened when they were born he was just terribly terribly um hurt and you know many of his major organs including his brain was was um compromised and it was it was a really scary time, um, but it was also, gosh, I mean, Ben is great now. You know, he's we're very lucky. He, His twin, um, yeah, yeah. Ben is great. He he doesn't have any vision issues or learning disabilities or anything. You know, so far I should knock on wood. Yep. But we've been very. I always sort of said that I felt like the luckiest unlucky person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> of course, now I know there's lots of us, but um, you know, he turns eleven on May fifth, and. I still, you know, I knew this when it was happening and I've known it ever since that it was being Liam's mother specifically was the worst thing that has ever happened to me. But it is also the most illuminating thing that has ever happened to me. And, you know, we can't choose our children's path. And there are all kinds of, you know, potential perils in loving children and Mm. in being a caregiver, no matter how they come into our lives. And uh, knowing that we can't choose that path, all we can do is just love them and walk with them as far as we can. And um, knowing him, you know, would I choose to have, have it not have happened at all? Or, you know, no, I, I, would, I would be his mother a thousand times over again mm. with the exact same outcome because it was such an honor to walk with him as far as I could. That's, you know, that, that's so amazing. And, and you are so amazing. Um, and, and I know you probably hate hearing that because you probably hear it all the time. And I know that whenever I have to go through, I go through something, people are like, oh, you're so strong and so brave. And oh, um, no. there's, there's a part of you that's like, well, what else was I going to do? Right. This is, this was sort yeah. of the hand I was dealt. Um, but what, here's where I think um, you are amazing. And the reason why I really wanted um, you to be on the Make Light Show and for people to meet you is mm. uh, is that you have this wonderful, uh, inspiring sense of resilience, and mm. that can be uh, that can be a very rare thing. And it's a, you know when you go through something that is so disruptive and so painful, and you you find your way to light, right? Even mm. if it wasn't the light that you had originally planned on having, right? Yeah. Um, that's that is something that I think uh, all of us, whether we're very resilient people or not, can take can take new lessons in. Right. Like it, it's something that we always strive to be better mm-hmm. at. And when I met you, I mean, I must have met you probably a year, maybe a year after. Yeah, um, it would have been about a year and a half, I think. Yeah. So it was yeah. still a pretty recent wound. Um, yeah. And one of the things that I you know, sort of watching this as a new friend at the time, right? And sort of, you know, we didn't know each other very well, um, was the way you didn't seem to shy away from your story and the way that you simultaneously 
were photographing at the time and, and then eventually writing all of this beauty um, that was going on. Like you hadn't become blind to that. And yeah. I, I was wondering how, like you're a creative person, clearly, like how did you harness that sort of creativity and how did you know to do that um, in order to help sort of your healing? Well, I think if we have it in us already, that is the lowest hanging fruit in mm. terms of what we can do. So you can either be owned by the narrative of your life or you can shape it. And I think no matter what you go through, whether it's uh, divorce or addiction or, uh, you know, a child that drifts from you or a loss or any of these other sort of really sort of upending traumas that we go through in life, um, when you have creativity in you, it is really sort of your first tool. Mm. Um, I know when I was in the hospital, I was still horrendously um, injured. I had only been down to the NICU maybe twice, like, you know, in a wheelchair. And at one point, I remember waking up in the middle of the night. I was still very heavily drugged. Um, and I, I almost knocked over. It was a great crash. And I almost knocked over my IV. Mm. And it was in the dark. And I, I just sort of woke up out of this completely oblivion sort of sleep. And, and I knew that there was a pad of paper on the, on the bedside table next to the hospital bed. And, and I, I grabbed it and I found a pen and it was pitch dark as much as it can be in a hospital. Mm. And I just, I started writing and I wasn't even really fully conscious, but mm. I had to kind of find a way of leading what was happening so that it didn't just unfold for me like like a, like the catastrophe it was because it was a catastrophe sure but i needed to find the language to walk with him i needed to find the vis visual language to walk with him so you know one thing that was really interesting to think about in hindsight was that whenever i saw anyone with a camera with a point and shoot camera like a nurse or my parents or anyone else anywhere near the incubators with something that could sort of capture the scene, I would chase them off. I was very territorial um, okay. with how they were seen because it was this dreadful, awful scene. You know, you don't, it's such a, a foreign thing to say about your babies, to say they were, they were horrible to look at, but they were because it was such a fright. And if anyone else had have gone in there and sort of done the typical sort of point and shoot flash on, this is all sounding really picky and aesthetic, no. but, but I am, I guess. And I knew that if anyone kind of like just stood there in front of the incubators and took a picture, yep. that they would just be like a couple of dead butterflies pinned to a board. Yeah. Wow. That they would, it would sort of, it would turn them into specimens and, and if I could get through the the portholes and see the fuzz on the on on Liam's shoulder, mm. then I could turn him into a real child and mm. not just an alien. Because really, when you see a baby that is born at six months gestation, you're not looking at a baby; you're looking at a fetus. Yeah. And it's different. And they've, they are very much like an alien specimen. And, and I wasn't sure if either of them were going to survive. And I wanted to know them as children. So I needed to see the sort of dampness at the nape of their necks. Mm. You know, I needed to, I couldn't be in there with them. But with my camera, I could be. And with my words, I could be. So right away, you know, imagination and sort of shaping that narrative became my spirituality because I didn't sort of arrive at this catastrophe with any um, sort of preordained religious framework. Yeah. Um, although I will say, I think that when this sort of a loss or when many kinds of trauma happen to us, it upends everything, whether you arrive with, you know, a lifetime of, of religious comfort or, or whether you don't, it, it, it sort of makes you question everything. Sure. Yeah. Sure. 
so okay you you've left the hospital mm. and you have a brand new baby who's i imagine health is still sort of up in the air because she he was born so severely underweight he was he was teeny tiny he yeah. was they, they let us go before he was five pounds well so, so he was itty bitty he was itty bitty and and you have a two-year-old <clears throat> at home I, I, a two and a half year old at that point. Yeah. And yeah. so Ben was so small that I remember the first day that I went out with him, which was terrifying because there wasn't anything connected to him. I couldn't see his heart rate on a screen. There were right. no nurses. It was really scary. It's always scary to have a, a, an infant, but yeah. he was so little that he was about the size of like those little mini footballs with like half the air let out. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so he was in a, um, a Mai Tai. I had him in a carrier attached to me. And there was a woman that walked by me. I was on the, the Halifax waterfront at the tall ships. And so lots of crowds and bustling around. And this woman was like elbowing her friend. And she looked at me and, and then she, she said quite loudly to her friend, she said, that woman's crazy. That's not a baby. It's a doll. <laughs> and it sort of, she walked by. Oh my God. And I was like, do I go after her? There was something about me that, that was like, oh, honey, I'm going <laughs> to show you my baby, my live baby that is four, and, four pounds and change. And you are going to be so ashamed of yourself. Did you? No. I no. kind of hate you didn't. <laughs> I know. Oh. But I just thought, oh, oh, oh. And the moment was gone. gone and she was yeah. through the crowd. And I, and it, but it's that little, and any NICU mom, or parent knows how this feels is that there is something really gratifying about someone thinking that your child is impossible to believe because there is something oddly validating about right. that. It makes you says, yeah, that's right. You yeah. think he's a doll, but he's real. And, and he's a fighter, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's what we've been through is that, that we made it out of there. It felt like a bit of a jailbreak. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, you know, we, we lost, Liam, but still to be out in the world in, in a normal scenario was pretty strange for a while. Yeah. So, okay. So I've met you, I meet you now like at a year and a half after yeah. and you're showing these. And this is the thing that I just, I love about, about your work is you always show these very beautiful images of your life, which I, on one hand, cannot be that difficult living in a beautiful place like Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's, they're very, um, they're very real. Like you show your your kids going wild in the woods and you um, and your stories about are about kids that go wild in the woods. And mm. um, and I was wondering, like, how. How do you do that? And and create like that without the sort of noise that there is constantly about what life is supposed to look like, like, do you know what I mean? Like the thing that I think is really lovely about watching your life is it's undeniably beautiful but it's also undeniably has moments of pain in it mm -hmm. and it's um and it doesn't look like everybody else's work right like it's not like you know these sort of perfectly curated lights of your children being perfect in their perfect yeah. clothing and in your perfect house like it's you sanding floors with sawdust in your hair and there's it's yeah. it's yeah. your kids you know that are have dirt on them as they're going nuts in the woods or <laughs> um and it's just it's so lovely but so relatable and i wonder how you managed to do that um especially as a photographer because i think photography uh is one of those mediums where you know if you're like me you're a visual person and you look at other photographers all the time and being able to weed through the what's inspiring and what is supposed to be good photography, right? Like these are yeah. the things you're supposed to do can be a difficult thing. So I was wondering how you do that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, one of the most important things to know, I think whether you're a photographer or not, is that struggle is beautiful and necessary. Mm in the same way that mud is beautiful and necessary, <laughs> you know? And, and I think that, um, you know, there are certain, I think as photographers, as visual artists, we all edit the frame, you know, that that's what aperture is for. That's what, um, 
shooting position is for that you don't need that parked car in the background or you right, know right, enough right. to look through the frame and say we don't need that old uh you know salt and vinegar chip bag crumpled up on the table <laughs> or whatever there's sort of there's sort of a degree of 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 of, of finding white space in every scene that you see mm. that is that that helps to crystallize the story that you're trying to tell without having to curate that realness and that struggle um so so i guess um i think that that white space has been i've actually been thinking a lot about it lately and what that means not only for photographers but in terms of narrative and life story mm. and life around um being able to inject a sense of spaciousness around difficult things because we're we're often many of us are taught to to shove those shameful things away mm. or uh tidy them up so that they're not visible but to me it, it's so much more healthful to give everything a little bit of space and to just let it be what it is because I can't carry that when I can't carry something hidden like mm -hmm. that. I'm going to be able to carry it much more readily if I can um, sort of frame it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I don't know if I've answered your question, but I don't know, but you've got yeah. me thinking. That's yeah. <laughs> I just I love because white space, if you're a strategist, if you're a photographer, if you're a writer, if you're a creative person of any means, white space is how you put room in your work for confidence. Even if you don't feel it, when you, when you peel away the superfluous stuff, the distractions, then what you're left with is a cleaner palette uh, to contemplate what is in front of you. And there are lots of ways of thinking about what those distractions might be. I mean, this starts to become a bit of a, a container through which to, to, to think about how you want your life to be. I, this is what I'm you thinking. Know? I'm like, yeah. you know, as, as you say this, I'm like, but that's almost what I witnessed with you mm -hmm. um, in that year and a half after. And also, it's almost kind of how I feel about the flood that happened to me, right? Mm -hmm. Of sort of, you know, this, you know, we had... Uh, Hurricane Harvey, we lost our home, we lost everything in our home. And that in a way, that has allowed for a lot of white space, to use mm. your phrase, in how we rebuild. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that maybe that's that's what is so lovely about witnessing you doing this, you know, creating a home yeah. for your two sons after that. Sure. I know that you um in the years later that you you be, you got divorced and you had to yeah. create a home um which you lovingly called the shed i believe is that what you used to call it yeah well there i i bought i bought the cheapest rundownest little <laughs> woe begotten house that you could ever imagine you know peeling paint and cracked windows and a, a, an old little house by a creek and it had this completely decrepit sort of old 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 man's work shed that was on the property and it was such an eyesore that I was like, well, I either have to take it down or gut it and do something with it. So I went out there one day with the crowbar and there is no better therapy, let me tell you, <laughs> than gutting a building. Right. Then going out there with a sledgehammer and a crowbar. And I've never used a crowbar before, but I, I figured it out and it was yeah, it's a really it's a really rejuvenating kind of a exercise. But And you built it into a little writer's studio. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've since obviously, um, I'm in the sea captain's house now. So it, that was a tough, that was a tough goodbye because that was my, that house was so much of my life. You know, I think when we have a big explosion, a big trauma, um, sometimes it can feel really exposing and there are very real reasons why you feel exposed. Mm because you feel vulnerable emotionally, because you might feel vulnerable financially, you might feel vulnerable because you don't know, there's a lot of uncertainty and uncertainty is really scary. But to get back to that idea of white space, yeah. for, and your flood is another perfect example. It's, 
you are very exposed, but at the same time, you are dealing with this completely stripped palette. Yeah. And there, I think there are a few junctions in our life when that happens, when we lose someone, when we lose something. And that is, a, is, is an opening. And I think that those, those jolts, those, those openings in life are really quite rare and they're really difficult and they're really scary. But in those openings is when you can take a crowbar <laughs> and you can say, I don't know much. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that if I control what I can control, which is to make something, to do something, to tear something down and rebuild it, that's going to feel good because I'm going to feel busy. I'm going to feel productive and I'm going to be creating something. I feel afraid of this emptiness and this meaninglessness. What's the point of all this? I just lost this relationship. I just lost this person. I just lost this sense of normalcy. But there's always the chance to be generative and to look at what, what, what can you control? There's a lot that you can bring a sense of um, sort of self-sufficiency too in those moments, I think. I feel like I'm rambling. No, you're not. This is beautiful. And what, what I think that, you know, the one thing that I think, I think you're right, but the thing that, again, sort of watching you um, over these years, I mean, how many years has it been now that we've known you? It's about a, almost a decade, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, I would say it would be a decade. Yeah, yeah so watching about. you over the last 10 years and also experiencing, you know, what I've experienced in the last year with the flood. Yes, mm -hmm. I think you're right. Like there's a there's a part of you, especially if you're a creative, that you're like, okay, what can I do with this? But to that point of white space and what I've seen you do and mm -hmm. what I can feel myself doing is there's a moment or several moments where you just stop and look at what the, at the space that you have now, right? Like, mm -hmm. like to me, it, it, I haven't. It's not like you. I saw you. Um, you okay, so you lost your baby and now you're writing a book. You know, like, I, I didn't see that. Right. Or yeah. you lost your, it was sort of like, I'm going to, I'm going to witness what this has, has done to me and what this has done to my surroundings. And I'm mm -hmm. going to capture it and I'm going to look at it and I'm going to think about, and th there, there comes a time when you're like, okay, this is what I will create out of it. And, and for you, like one of the things that you created out of it was, um, a glow in the woods, right? A, a community of people mm -hmm. who had experienced a similar loss and it's a beautiful community of right. people who can connect. And, you know, and, and now, right, like for me, just, you know, completely unrelated is, you know, we're in the process of building a new home and what does that home right. look like and what's it going to feel like for us now? Um, and how is that different from the home that we bought 10 years ago when I had, a, right. you know, a three-year-old and now I have a teenager. And, and so, so I think there's there's a pause that I don't want to I don't want to skip over mm -hmm. before even the creation that there's a point where you sort of go let me take stock of where I am so yeah. that I can help figure out where true north is from here. Does, That's does that such make a beautiful. Sense? Yeah, it's such a beautiful moment. It's yeah. so beautiful. And the, the interesting thing for me is that I've I've always been rather cranky. <laughs> about this whole idea of positivity yeah because really. god damn it sorry for the, the no it's fine <laughs> but i was i was so angry that my kid died of course i was so angry that i had to move through the world with the memory of a dead baby in my lap and that other because, people weren't mourning it with you like the world like yeah. strangers who passed you couldn't mm -hmm. feel the loss as well yes yeah, yeah they just sort of other people not many people ever witnessed him because he never left the hospital. Right. So right. to, to, to the world, it's a pregnancy gone awry and what's the big deal. Oh. And that, that is the experience of infant loss and, you know, late term and, and miscarriage and all. Yeah. So that, that's a whole other. That's moments, a whole other podcast. But, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But um, there really, there really is a beautiful moment there when, when you are in a state of rebuilding where you can sort of, you can, you know, it's not about being positive, quote unquote. It's no. about, and this is what I think resilience is, is it is sitting with all of that sort of just red hot heat, this, <laughs> this dragon that is inside you now that is just, you're just breathing fire all the time because you're just absolutely beside yourself with rage and, and, and sadness. And grief, yeah. 
But there is such a thing as animal husbandry for dragons. <laughs> Tell there me is, what that means. There is, I have, I have three doves. I'm all over the place now, but I have three um, ringneck doves. And I took a video once of them having a bath in a pie plate. And now no one's ever going to want to come to my house and eat pie, but that's, that's <laughs> I clean it up. No, actually, what, I, what, I, what I'm thinking, and I'm sure people are thinking of like, here's this woman who lives in Nova Scotia <laughs> in a sea captain's house that has doves. Like, this, is, this is a story. This is, like a, this is like a fictional story come to yeah. life. <laughs> they, coo, they coo me awake every morning oh. like roosters. They think they're roosters. But so they were having a bath. And when they do, they do this glorious thing where they... They take one wing and tuck it in and then flip all the water over and then give a shake. And they have so much fun playing in the water. And so I took a video and a friend of mine who's a farmer commented on the video and she said, oh, it's so wonderful to give an animal what they need to care for themselves. Mm. That is animal husbandry. So that is taking care. And I think that when we have a great big pain that feels like we're walking around with a dragon inside of us. It's not about stifling that fire. It's about paying attention to it and letting it have that attention and letting it be because it's not going away. And I think that we can exist in that space of caring for that dragon at the same time as standing in the emptiness after a trauma and not saying, oh my gosh, my life is empty now. But instead being in that emptiness and saying, okay, here we are post flood post-death, post-illness, post-divorce. I'm in this empty space, this open moment. What do I want to add to this frame? How do I want to see, how, how, how would I want to compose the picture of, of my life from mm-hmm. this point forward? So, so yeah, the, there's definitely an art to it. And I don't think that's just for creative people. You know, this is, this is something that, well, I think all people are creative. We just haven't figured out all figured exactly. out our medium yet, right? Of so, course, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's I, th- I love that. I think that's right. And 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 to me, one of the things that, and I'm sure you must feel the same way, is once you've done this, once you've had the loss and the grief, and you've you've practiced your animal husbandry, as you said, mm. but also sort of looked at the palette that's in front of you and figured out how to create and what you want to create mm-hmm. and where true north is um for me what has happened and god knows what's ahead of me you know like what horrible thing may be ahead mm-hmm. it sort of provides a little evidence of of what you're capable of doing mm-hmm. in the next time something you're faced with something else like i look at you you know like to me i can't imagine that you, after, you know, after creating your shed and creating your home, that yeah. you don't look at certain obstacles or challenges that come in your life and go, dude, I, I wielded a crowbar, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like I created something beautiful. I, <laughs> you know, after, you know, af- with something that was very difficult or um, I have a really, really, I have two really, really healthy boys mm-hmm. after a really, really traumatic event that happened in all three of our lives. Right. And so there there's something about sort of almost creating a body of evidence of what you're capable of handling and how you are capable of handling it don't you don't you feel i think so and and even in just really really small ways in mm. really like we're talking about kind of the macro right now like building a new life i've done that before right. i can do it again but i think what's really important too is just the way that you can pick yourself up on any given morning when you wake up and the idea of just making breakfast for yourself and eating and putting food in your mouth and nourishing yourself feels obscene yeah. <laughs> after, after a big pain, like yeah. how can I even do that? And that's, those are the moments when I, I, my mother's voice, or maybe it's my, my voice as a mother of myself, I think mm. it's getting a little bit meta, but I, I feel like, we can parent ourselves. Sure. And when, I, when I'm at my, my lowest, I end up parenting myself. So I can sort of bring, I can sort of bring this voice up to the, up to the forefront and, and let her be in charge. And she says what my mother would say, which is, well, yeah, there's a lot going on right now. 
And no, we don't know what's going to happen or how it's going to unfold. But, you know, you'd feel better if you mm. have a nap and a nice <laughs> hot bath and a better sleep and just try again tomorrow. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's Anne of Green Gables every Every day is fresh with no mistakes in it, right? Well, and <laughs> even you, if you're inside of the of, of a massive mistake or a catastrophe or a horrible thing, you can always cook yourself a little cast iron skillet <laughs> with lentils and garam masala and 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 let it simmer all afternoon and make you can make your house smell delicious. Yeah, you can do that, and that is nourishing. You know, you can drink more water on, on any given day. And that is something you can do. There's always lots you can do. So many people have come to me and they've said, what am I going to do? This thing has happened or this person has died or I, I can't live. What, how am I supposed to live now? What am I supposed to do? And it's never wrong to do what a mother would tell you to do. Oh because my gosh, because a mother always knows. Because a mother doesn't judge, at least sort of the archetypal mother. Right. Of, of oneself never says, you know, you basically have to parent yourself the way that you would parent a child. And a child is tantruming. And you don't say, for God's sake, get a hold of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're so mean Although, to oh, ourselves. Sometimes I do. <laughs> uh, good point. I have actually said that before. Okay. Pull it together. <laughs> never mind. Let's just no. drop this whole line of discussion. <laughs> no, I think it's I think yeah. it's perfect. And what I what I'm hearing so so here's where I'm going to push back on something you said earlier that you said yeah. you're, cr- you're cranky about positivity, mm. but I feel like that is absolutely what true positivity should be right it may not mm-hmm. actually but is this sort of how how can i care for myself and what you're discussing what you're talking about is self-compassion right because the oh, kind of yeah. things that you're talking about are what you would say to a friend right like if mm-hmm. your friend came to you with loss and you didn't know it you know you probably would be like all right let's make a cup of tea right like oh, my, my mm-hmm. husband's english and we always talk about how uh, the english people think tea will fix yeah. everything right like <laughs> let, you know i'll put the kettle on right like it's, yeah. it's sort of what you do but it, it it what it is is this 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 it's it's true what krista dr krista neff who studies self-compassion it's what mm-hmm. she would say is even more than self-confidence even more than anything else self-compassion is sort of the root of of resilience, of being able to, to handle things is when you take the moment and go, I'm going to take care of myself. When your words, I'll parent, I'm going to parent myself. What would I say? What would I do with a friend or a son or a daughter who was experiencing the same thing? Of course they would be upset. Of course (laughs) they would be in grief. Of course they would be in anger. And and how would I help that person do it? And I mean, what you're talking about absolutely through all of this is really um, self-compassion and resilience, Mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, it's, it's it, there was a not long ago, my son was out playing in the driveway um, at the other house and he fell and he skinned his knee and he, he was crying and he came in the house and he was bleeding and it was just a mess. He, he had been on his bike mm. and I didn't say to him, don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. The first thing you say when someone is bleeding all over the place, they've made a mess of themselves, they're exhausted, they're, they're tired, they're screaming, they're upset. What you say to them is, oh, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh, oh, that looks like it really hurts. Right. That's awful. Oh, honey. And we don't say that enough to ourselves to say, of course you feel that way. Right. Oh, love, just sit down. And there is tea that needs to come in at that point. Yes. Is. But it's not about, it's not about everything is going to be okay because no, everything is not going to be okay when you are still in that explosive moment mm. and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So one of the things that, that, um, that Kristen Neff talks about as far as self-compassion and really all compassion mm-hmm. is that there's three sort of elements to it. The first one is sort of acknowledging that you're in pain right? Like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. this really hurts. Or, oh, sweetheart, that looks like it's painful. Or, you know, yeah. and, and then the second thing is, um, is to say, to kind of recognize in yourself that this is totally natural for you to be in pain, right? Like, yeah. of course you're in pain. Anybody in this situation would be in pain. Mm-hmm. And then the third part of self-compassion is to say, may I be kind to myself, just sort of kind of a reminder to go gently, right? Mm-hmm. And 
And that's what, you know, that's like what you're saying. Like, you know what? Things are going to be better if I, if I feed myself or if I have a hot shower. Like, let me be kind to myself. And her yeah. point is that taking the time to do that, even if it's just a moment, even if it's just deep breaths and reminding yourself of those three things helps bring clarity to where your next step would be, as opposed to just mm -hmm. diving into doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, not yeah. giving the white space and just diving in because then you make irrational decisions, right? Like when you're moving in, yeah. in suffering, you, you'll make, but when you stop and go, this is absolutely normal for me to be in this kind of pain. And yeah. I need to just remember to be kind to myself and really remember to go gently. That's yeah. when your mind can slow down and go, okay, now what's the next step? What am I going to do? And I love it. And, and it sounds to me like this is something that you are just really innately great at figuring out, right? Like, 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 you know, you call it parenting yourself, but I think that's something that you are naturally good at, or is that something that you mm -hmm. had to teach yourself? Oh gosh. Yeah. No, I, there, you think about how it is to be a parent. And I think everyone can imagine this, even if they're not a parent, there is a ferocity to the love of being a parent mm. and there is an unconditional nature of that love. And when you lend that to yourself, you, you learn to listen to your own instincts about what you need and how you feel rather than putting all your energy into performing well for everyone mm, else. Yes. Oh, because gosh, there is so this big. sort of performative pressure on people in pain. And again, any kind of pain. But there is this feeling that you have to put on a brave face. And that is what makes me cranky. Because, <laughs> and that yes. is what made me feel really fierce. Because yes. I, the way that I was feeling was normal. The way that I was upset was normal. Yeah. The way that I was uh, needing to talk and not needing to talk, all of it is normal. Because mm. this is an extraordinary circumstance. And that is the most... <laughs> It just requires you to protect that really, really ferociously, mm. regardless of how other people think you should behave and, and present yourself. Because other people, you know, your pain only belongs to you. Yeah. You know? Oh, my gosh. I love this. OK, mm. so before we get into our, our little bullet round that I warned you that we were going to be doing, <laughs> um, yeah. I wanted to say what would be like if for any listener right now that is going through something that's very difficult. Um, what would be your first advice as to what to do? We probably touched on it already to move through that difficulty and that pain. What would be the, mm -hmm. the first thing to do? I think, I don't know if it's a matter of doing, mm -hmm. but I think it's just a matter of twisting your perspective a little. So in that moment of pain, you want to get over it, through it, beyond it. Mm -hmm. And we do have that language around sort of moving on. Mm -hmm. but the way to think about it that I think is really helpful is not to think about healing or recovering, which implies kind of a before and an after, mm. but the work that has to be done and it is a labor is the work of integrating pain. Mm. So it doesn't go away because it's never going to go away, mm -hmm. but it can be sort of healthfully um, interwoven into who you are. Eventually that dragon settles. Mm and calms and becomes evidence of you having changed and become bigger and having become more expensive as a human being. And that is a profoundly honorable state to be in. So in that hard work phase, when everything is sort of still smoking, the work that you are doing with every tear, with every sigh, with every uh, lapse, that is important work that is honorable and normal and it's okay. And, and I think, you know, you feel like your life, like you'll never be yourself again. And that's true. Mm. And that's okay. Yeah. And, and, and you can make, you know, there are beautiful chapters ahead that you just can't see yet because you can't see around corners. Right. right. But I'm around the corner and I'm telling you now that, that other chapter is there. You just can't see it yet. So you just have to keep <laughs> trying again tomorrow, you know? Yeah, I love that. 
I love that. Oh my gosh, this has been so, I'm so glad that you were a part of my show. This has been so fantastic. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go totally switch gears now and we're going to go into Yay. a bullet round. Okay. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you some questions and uh, you just give me the first answer without really much thought okay. um, of what comes to mind. Okay. So it's yeah. very easy. So like coffee or tea? Oh gosh, tea. Okay. <laughs> me too. Lord, thunder and Jesus, tea. <laughs> Okay, how about this? Because I know you, I know that you are a city girl. Well, you grew up a city girl, so city or ocean? Well, see now you live in Nova Scotia, you have both. Yes, I know, I know, but but which, <laughs> but you don't live that close to the city right now. No, I don't. I'm yeah. in the country now, but yeah. um, there are lots of cities in the world that, that do give you both. So you're going to take both of them. I'm going to dodge that question by saying I, I demand it all. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, that's fair. All right. Um, as, a, as a call to your books, do you prefer mm. pirates or monsters? Oh, that's almost impossible. It's like choosing your favorite child. Whichever one is behaving better today. Okay. That's my favorite one. <laughs> I love that. Perfect. Okay. Who is your biggest famous role model. So you're not allowed to say like your husband or mm. your, even though we didn't even get to talk about your lovely Dutch husband, but um, your husband or your mom or something like that, or your kids, oh. like famous role model. Famous role model. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, there's, there's almost too many. Oh <laughs> gosh. What are you doing to me? Um, well, okay. I mean, uh, I've, you already mentioned him. One of them is, is Roald, Roald Dahl. Dahl, that's right. Because he was one heck of a cantankerous prick. <laughs> <laughs> By all accounts. Right. Which is pretty much what I am. You know, like one, one part, like, you, you know, Care Bear, one part train hobo. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Here's the thing. You keep saying that and you just come across so sweet and calm and lovely. Nobody is buying it, Kate. Nobody's going to buy this. Oh, it's, it's true. But, but I think I, I really like him because I love what, what he puts into his writing is, is a little bit of, and all the great writers do that. Yep. Maurice Sendak was really fantastic at doing that. Yep. Um, where they inject a part of the horror into yeah. their the the glory, because there can't be light without dark, and yeah. and anyone that can manage to do that, you know, um, Jacqueline Dupre was yeah. a, a the world's you know pretty much the greatest cellist who ever lived, mm. and she was taken down by oh I'm gonna forget now was it multiple sclerosis. Muscular dystrophy. Oh, I'm forgetting what it was she had, but she had one of those horrendous sort of physical ailments that just took her body from her and she couldn't play any longer. And she knew for years that this would happen, but she, she produced the kind of music that brings so much darkness, but it's so delicious. Yeah. It is just so fantastic. You know, and, and those are the artists that I look up to the most, I think. And, and there are almost too many to mention. But the ones that, that don't try to make everything pretty. Because, yeah. because the most, sort of the chewiest of the human experience is, is the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that's when that's so your work, right? Like it's a, <laughs> it's this beautiful work that always has a little tinge of edge yeah. to it, which I, I think yeah. that's true. Okay, um, something someone would be surprised to learn about you. Um, I'm actually really, I think I do write with quite a bit of an edge, but I'm actually super, super, super green. Like I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never been <laughs> high. I've never drank coffee in my life. I've never really even tasted it. Oh, wow. Um, there's, I have a lot of nevers. Have you drank rum though? At least we started with rum. Oh, well, heck yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> we can remain friends. <laughs> in, in so many ways, I feel like I haven't. Um, I, 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 I feel very sort of naive. Yeah. I'm the same. Think, I've, I've never yeah. smoked a joint. I'm the same. I'm exactly mm -hmm. the same. So I can totally, mm -hmm. I can totally appreciate that. All right. So the last yeah. two questions are questions. My daughter makes me ask everybody. Beautiful. Um, the first one is Pandora or Spotify. Oh, uh, Spotify. All right. Right on. Mm -hmm. And uh, Facebook or Instagram. Mm. Oh, they both make me angry. <laughs> <laughs> 
do that. Uh, I, 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 I'm gonna. My my first instinct is Instagram, but lately, like one out of every four images is a video trying to sell me something. Oh, so I'm getting I, well, increasingly I, well, irritated. How about Facebook or Instagram, as far as what you use, like to use, mm. as opposed to not not necessarily consume, but use. Different purposes. Again, yeah. I'm being dodgy. Because, yeah, you are. You're really difficult. Because yeah, <laughs> I want it all. I want everything. Um, yeah, I, I, my instinct is to say Instagram, but Facebook, I don't mind either. Only because I've got that stuff locked down. Yeah. Like, yeah, just me too. A, a lot of people say, "Oh, I don't like Facebook because I don't like seeing everybody's pork chops." And <laughs> it's like, well, you don't have to see everybody's yeah. pork chops. You don't have to be inundated with Trump news. Or yeah. pork chops or people that you haven't seen since high school because you have to kind of manage that. And I think yeah. that's that's, you know, to, to have any kind of a meaningful interaction, no matter what the channel is, you have to be able to kind of prune it yeah. and make it so it doesn't drive you crazy. And I think that's the big part of our sort of pubescence in being a digital society is everyone's figuring out how do I manage this? How do right. I scale it back while still participating? So that's. Fully not an answer. That's <laughs> yeah, you are done. All right. So this last one you have to answer. This okay, last okay. question. You ready? Yep. What does it mean to thrive? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, to. Oh, gosh. <laughs> what does it mean to thrive? To. Uh, to be able to access fresh air anywhere. And I think what, what that means is that it's like you go into a really stale space and the first thing I do is open all the windows. Like there's, there's a Swiss or a Swedish word for that, what they do even through the winter, every Swedish or Swiss, I'm sorry for not knowing, household opens every window in the house for a few moments to just change the air. And I think if you can practice, and it is a practice, if you can practice changing the air, you'll always be okay. Oh, God, I love that. On mm. that amazingly beautiful note, I can't <laughs> tell you how grateful I am that you joined me here on the Make Light Show. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It was a delight. It okay. always is talking to you. Oh, and you and everybody else, her upcoming nonfiction book, Notes for the Ever Lost, A Field Guide to Grief. It's out mm. September 18th, available for pre-order. And if you've got kids in your life, you will they will love you forever if you go get all of her wonderful, beautiful children's books, which I will link in the show notes. Thanks for joining us over here. Kate is one of those wild, wonderful spirits who fills me up every time I speak with her, and I'm so grateful to her for joining me here on the Make Light Show. And as always, I'm grateful to you that you joined us as well. If you'd like to find out more about today's guest, Kate Inglis, and her books and her communities and all the beautiful art that she makes, be sure to check out the show notes at themakelightshow.com. And if you're talking about today's episode on social media, don't forget to use hashtag MakeLightShow so I can find you. I'm Karen Walrand, and I'll be back next week with a new episode. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this show in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. Thrive on, friends. <laughs>